our New Testament reading. It's from the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Jesus Christ, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. If you're wondering today why uh, your director of music is standing at this podium, um, you're not alone. <laughs> it was remarkably easy to, uh, to agree and even volunteer to do this sermon. And as, um, as the preparation time came, as it came time to write it, uh, that's of course when the, the difficulty and even um, doubt and, and desire to back out at times set in. You'll be happy to know that first service was a learning experience for me. Um, it turns out that I had actually written, in spite of being worried about not having enough material, I had actually written more like two sermons. Uh, the Sabbath school hour was spent hastily chopping down, removing some things and doing some judicious editing. Joy um, suggested as I was doing this that I could just go down in record as preaching the longest sermon in the history of Spencerville Church. But Steve Wilsey tells me that if I do that, he's going to walk out. So I would like to avoid both of these, these things this morning. I want you to know that I don't approach this opportunity casually or as some kind of a gimmick. Oh, let's watch the music director preach on a summer Sabbath, which is not as sparsely attended as I fantasized it would be. I, it, it is the first time in 19 years um, of my service as director of music here that I have preached, not really because I, I um, had turned down opportunities, but just because I'd never really volunteered, and I am grateful to Chad for having the courage to agree um, to my volunteering for this, this occasion. Since it might be 19 more before I have another opportunity, I really have approached this with a desire to communicate something that's meaningful, um, that we can experience not just today's worship service, but that might, be, might add to what we do here in the future each time we meet together. I have two main goals for my message this morning. One is to discover our true purpose for gathering here in this place each week. And number two is to still have my job as music director by the close of the service which I think I, I'll, I'll um, probably pull that one off. I, I'll ask the same question um, that I asked the children, but in, in a slightly different way. And that is, how would you answer the question that is posed or implied by the title of the sermon this morning, which is, uh, we are gathered here today to. And you don't have to call out your answers, although that would be an interesting way to conduct this. But maybe just think for a moment at some of the, the, number, the number one things that come to mind or the things that most quickly come to mind. Jot them down in your, in your memory or even on the, the card that you have in front of you. I'll give you a moment to do that. People often tell me they love to come here to Spencerville to, um, well, because they're talking to me, it's often as, as a, a genuine and sincere compliment about the music, that they, 
they get a blessing from the service or they feel uplifted um, by the music. And I really do understand where this sentiment comes from. I hear these, these uh, compliments as genuine and as complimentary um, as they are intended. But I, the question I would have is, is this the goal of our church? Are we here today to listen to beautiful and uplifting music? And my, my friend James, who is, oh, he's there, um, is, it's wonderful for him to be here today. He and I have something of a long history in that I was his RA at Peabody, um, which implies that there was a maturity difference between him and myself that you probably have backwards. So um, I led him, I think, into more trouble than, than not. But he is an incredible singer, and he's shared this music of Vaughn Williams with us, which I found really, um, for me, was very meaningful, and I did receive a blessing. And then, of course, the organist you have this morning is certainly a visual and, and musical improvement on the guy you normally have. But if this place exists as a concert hall, I would suggest there are many and varied options for us to experience music, uh, from our iPods to online to the concert and type of music of our choice. And it would all be for a lot less expense and a lot less trouble than the music department here um, causes this church, to be honest. It's expensive to run the music here. We have, a, uh, we have instruments that need to be maintained and salaries that are to be paid, musicians that are hired, etc. Um, so I'm really not sure that that's the reason why we're here. The preaching here is usually excellent, but I, do we gather in this place to hear sermons every week just to inspire us for the week to come and perhaps set us back on the right track after some missteps in the week that followed? Um, if so, in the same way with music, I think we have a multitude of options to be instructed in that way, from wonderful books to sermons online by the greatest preachers in the world. Um, and we could do all of this without the expense of supporting a pastoral staff, and again, without the upkeep uh, and, and maintenance of this wonderful building that we're here. This next one is tricky, and I want you to listen uh, carefully and maybe wait until the end of the sermon before you begin to text Chad that I'm blaspheming. But it would be this, is our main goal for being here this morning to spread Jesus' love to the world? And if so, I would say we have chosen a very inefficient and even ineffective way to accomplish that goal. Surely we wouldn't need this room, these beautiful windows in front and, and back that I enjoy every day, um, our wonderful preachers or, or this musician standing before you today. All of those things are experienced as I suspect they are this morning, 99% of the time, by people who already know and believe about Jesus. If our main purpose um, as a church, as meeting here on Sabbath morning, and that's where I want to clarify, is evangelism, how much progress are we making by gathering in this place as people who already believe? Isn't it so much preaching to the choir? And of course, all of the things that I mention and more happen here and are wonderful outcomes of our worship time together. And you shouldn't feel uh, ashamed in any way if those things are the first ones that pop to your mind to answer that question, uh, we are gathered here in this place. But I think many of those reasons speak to the I and not the we in that sentence. We are gathered here today. In my experience here at Spencerville and in other churches and in my studies of religious history and music history, certainly in music or in, in churches, there is and always has been a real difference of opinion in the way that people answer that question, the way that they define themselves and, their, and the reasons for their, their gathering together. 
an example that comes to mind, if we would consider, I see many of you out here are, are wonderful business people, very skilled. What would it be like if when you gathered in your boardroom, each person around the table had a different reason for why your business existed? It's unlikely that you would get very much done and certainly that you would accomplish the goals that you set out to, to do. And if we take an illustration that's even closer to home, one that I've experienced even from time to time, a choir that doesn't have a common purpose would equally not make a lot of music. If some people were there to sing, others to sightsee, others to meet friends, some to play games, um, not much quality music making would, would happen. Paul's letters to the churches give us evidence that we aren't the only ones who are struggling or who have struggled to define the purpose of church. His visits and, and letters to the various fledgling churches around uh, show a movement trying diligently to define itself debating its purpose and deciding who should be allowed to join. Should Gentiles be welcomed? Do men need to be circumcised? What about women? What should their role be? What kind of meat should we be eating? Paul described a scenario that has repeated itself without interruption in every generation as people struggle to find their purpose and how they should corporately respond to their convictions. At best, it's been a lively debate, and at worst, lives have been lost over arguments that looking back on it, I certainly think or hope that we would see as trivial. Surely God does not call us together to be in conflict with each other. Let's look again at today's New Testament scripture lesson that I read a moment ago in Romans 15, 5 through 7. And I'll read it. Um, you're welcome to follow along in your, in your versions as well to see um, the differences. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. I think it's these verses that have a lot to say about why we are gathered here in this place and about the need that we have to have a common purpose to be like-minded as we do so. And I really like these words like-minded and one mind, one mouth, they speak um, strongly and, and unambiguously about what a group of people like this can do to come together for a common purpose. And I think they tell us what was happening in the churches that Paul was writing to, as well as what could and should be happening in our church. We don't really know a lot about what happened in those churches, what their worship services were like. Um, this sermon at one time had great lengthy paragraphs uh, with as much evidence as we do have about the worship traditions which have been slashed for various reasons. But in any case, what we can see in a letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians in 3.16, he reads, or, he, or we read, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The early Christians then, and I think we are as well, are encouraged to be like-minded and with one mouth and one mind to sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. In that moment of singing, there is no room for conflict or division. In that moment, there is no debate about theology or women's ordination or adding clarity to the wording of the fundamental beliefs. This is also not an act of an individual or about gathering to receive a blessing. Though I'm sure that people gathered there, as I hope are, who are gathered here, did feel blessed. Paul is encouraging them to worship together, 
to focus on, in particular, the unifying acts of singing. It's in the story of the first Exodus that we have our first example of corporate song, though it was certainly a part of biblical times from the very beginning. In Exodus 15, we find the children of Israel shaking the mud off their feet on the far banks of the Red Sea. And I want you to imagine this scene, because we hear this story so often. In fact, it was this, the, the, the subject of uh, not the most recent uh, Vacation Bible School, but the one before, and we had a little Red Sea erected right here in the side of the sanctuary. But the people of Israel have just escaped from, uh, from a really harrowing, uh, narrow escape from Egypt. And several times, they're facing peril. That just when they think they've got it made, they come up against the Red Sea with the army fast approaching, and um, I'm sure it was chaos. They finally make it across the water, and I'm, I'm sort of imagining that in this scene, the waters have come back together, and if you've ever disturbed water, it takes a while for it to settle down. So this water is still um, toiling, and on the surface are beginning to float spears and, and bodies. It's gory, horses and chariots. And on the banks of, the, of that river, Moses stands and he surveys the people who are gathered there, a million strong, I think it was. And the first thing that he does, they don't take account to make sure that they're all there. Um, and I, I, during the first service, we, we pictured what it would be like to escape from this building in some kind of conflict and what it is that we would first do when we made it to the safety of the parking lot. But Moses gives them a song to sing and he makes them sing it. The song is, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. And I don't imagine that that singing on that afternoon or morning, evening, whenever it was, was tepid or half-hearted. The Israelites responded to their deliverance from the bondage of Egypt with a song of praise to the God of their salvation. What's important about this Exodus story and what applies to us today is that it doesn't just show us this single act of worship, but rather the song of Moses demonstrates that God delivered his people out of Egypt so they could worship him. And I think that he does the same for us. Their liberation was not the end, but the beginning. God had brought them out of slavery and bondage in order to lead them to Mount Zion, the place where the temple would one day be erected and the place where they would worship. And that was a dream that they had. And then I think in some ways it's similar to the dream that was had of those who built this church and who laid the foundations for what we do here in this place. But God's people were gathered out of Egypt, the world, in order to be brought into his temple, the place of worship where God was present. So it shows a, a real link between the covenant that was made with the children of Israel and the covenant that's made with us and the way that we fulfill that covenant. And it's not in a... A gentle or easy way. For the children of Israel, the purpose of salvation is worship. The exodus for them and for us is the means, and gathering in worship is the end. At, I think it's interesting to think about a God that desires our worship. And for me, it's, it can't come from a place of insecurity, because the God that can imagine a universe into existence is not somebody who, who necessarily needs us to worship him. And I think that he asks us to worship him for us and not necessarily for him. He knows that we have a tendency to be self-centered and to hold tightly to our own opinions and our own viewpoints. And active worship lifts us out of our own insular world and directs us our attentions on something beyond our own concerns. 
it does this for each individual that engages in it, but it does even more so for uh, the, the common purpose of the group who do it together. And we'll get into this just briefly with some of the songs that I want to, um, to look at. Now, I don't know, the, maybe the ministers, actually I'd like to know this, and I don't know that I'll ever have another opportunity. So I'll just ask, for those of you who are ministers here today and who have preached, are there points when you're preparing your message that you wonder whether you should deliver it at all? There are? Well, it was interesting for me because, um, and I think self-doubt is really a part of every act of creation. Uh, it certainly is for me at least, musically, definitely. But it was here, and it was in this way. I wondered several times this week whether this is even anything that we needed to say here at Spencerville, whether we're doing just fine with our worship. We have a beautiful sanctuary. We have a thriving children's program. We have a wonderful school. Um, we're, we are, have a renewed focus on, on evangelism, and there's an excitement here that is wonderful to behold. All these things are great blessings here at Spencerville. But in this age when we're surrounded by entertainments of all kinds, um, I have noticed in my time a kind of settling back into the chair. I mean, maybe that's the, uh, a metaphor that we could use. Um, I think it's so easy for us to do something like come to this place in order to get a blessing or to feel that that's the primary purpose rather than to approach worship as our act of giving and one thing that I think could change the paradigm is for us, um, in a way it's, it's odd, not odd, but it's difficult because we have this platform here, you have the organ, you have choir often, uh, a singer will sing from the front, and there's a tendency to think about worship as happening across a plane, an invisible plane that exists between the platform and the congregation. And instead, I think we can flip that plane so that it's above all of us and worship is not happening from here to here, or even from here to here. It's happening from here to here. And this vertical orientation, I think, is very important. If some of this seems a little abstract, um, I am with you, and I like to get practical. Just what would a renewed focus on worship here at Spencerville look like? I think, honestly, we're already seeing this verb of worship uh, displayed nicely in the His teams. I was greeted warmly this morning, uh, not just by the, the, the weather, but by several people in the parking lot with the beautiful flowers. I love the flowers. I think that's a great touch. Mine would have a little squirt gun in it, but that's why I'm not on the His teams. When I first uh, came here at Spencerville, um, there was a, a real excitement here. And there is still, I don't want that to be the impression you take away, but the singing in this place in the 19, early 1990s with Jennifer Zinke, um, the choir, uh, John Lintner at the organ, everything was fresh and new, which is so easy. It's just like when you buy a new car. You can't wait to take it out for a spin, and as it begins to age, and it's not quite as exciting. And I want to clarify that everything that was done in this place to prepare this room for the, for, uh, for the installation of the organ was actually not done for the organ uh, pre uh, predominantly, although it did benefit the sound of the instrument, and any instrument of acoustic instrument benefits from being in a welcoming acoustic. But it was done, and I know this from talking to the people who did it, so that your singing would be enlivened. There's no acoustic reason for instruments um, to have hard surfaces under the floor. That's there. It's hard to kneel on, certainly. But it's there so that when you lift your voice, you will hear each other. 
There's nothing that kills congregational singing um, like not being able to hear what's happening across the room. And that's what this room is wonderful for. It's built for it. Um, sometimes when I look out, I don't often get this opportunity, but sometimes when I look out, I wonder if we've forgotten that a little bit. I, I think that, this, that returning to this, um, this idea could result in a vibrance where we would become known as perhaps we already are as a singing congregation. This idea of rediscovering our voices and finding a renewed passion for singing in this place, um, this is important because it connects us to the, the lesson in the scripture of one voice and one mind. And as a kind of seventh inning stretch, I want to take a moment to illustrate what song can do to put a group of people, even one as large as this, into one mind and one mouth. While we don't know exactly what the melodies were that Paul was referring to or encouraging his people to sing, we can assume, based on uh, some of the chants and the modes that have emerged from, uh, from Greek times, which are well documented, and also what would come later in Christian music, that this was some kind of single-line melody. This would, of course, be the easiest thing to do if you didn't have printed songbooks, is to sing a melody that we would all know. So we have several of these melodies in our own hymnal that are very old, and we're going to sing one of those just now. And you don't need to open your hymnal, as I think you know this melody and even the words. And in any case, uh, we'll be singing it in a style that's called alternatum, where I sing a, um, a verse and then you sing, or a line and then you um, repeat it. And there are some specific instructions. First, for those of you on this side, listen carefully for a voice that's somewhere in the middle. And the same for those on this side. Find a voice other than your own to key into and to synchronize with. And it, does, it obviously won't be the same voice, but if everybody is listening to some voice that's other than their own, um, there will be a big difference in the way that you synchronize. And you'll see that there's, this will take some time. It did in first service for it to lock in. The second thing is focus on the breath. Breath is, of course, um, symbolic, breath of life. It's, of course, also literally something that we must do in order to survive. But from a musical standpoint, everything emerges out of the breath. Everything that you do um, in a musical line, is uh, set, the tone is set in your breath. So as we breathe, you want to listen for each other's breath. That feeling of, of inhaling and then letting a, a, the musical phrase go. And finally, this is something I'm always um, encouraging the choir to think about. It's so easy to sing hymns in the vertical line. Focus on the horizontal line. You'll hear that as we, as we get into this, but these melodies, these early melodies, are not metrical. They're meant to be expressed, and they're meant to be flexed, and they're meant to have that happen together. And believe it or not, if you listen to each other, you'll be able to do this beautifully without any direction. So here we go. Come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Good. So we, we got there. Let's see if we can synchronize that beginning. Here we go. Feel the vertical weight, take it out. 
sound it's something we should do more often and we got better at it from the beginning to the end it was beautiful to listen singing I think is one of God's great gifts and I sometimes fear that we as a society are losing our singing voice as we content ourselves with consuming music to listening music and not being part of making it um, you might think my intent of all of this has been to make a kind of extended advertisement for the choir and in fact singing great choral literature for worship is about as active and engaged as you can get and a full choir loft up here would be a pretty convincing sign of a renewal of focus on the verb of worship. But it's not really my, my purpose. I would love for you all to discover your voice, to sing in the shower, to sing in the car, to make music, to sing a new song, as the psalm says. Finally, as I close this message, I want to clarify something about evangelism that I said in the introduction. In case there is any misunderstanding, I am not arguing that church does not exist to lead others to Christ. What I am saying is that we don't make much progress on that goal by meeting here together on Sabbath morning, and that perhaps that isn't really the purpose of our Sabbath worship. By renewing our focus on worship and being one mind and one voice, we become a church that people want to be a part of. It is much easier to invite people to join us on our journey of faith if we are filled with joy and praise than if we are consumed by theological debate. This shift of focus is perhaps especially true now following the GC session when some of us may feel somewhat divided. The antidote is to turn our eyes upward and to lift our voices. If we take John the Revelator at his word, heaven will be a place of unceasing worship. I don't imagine this will be a passive activity. Many of us, many of you, will not find employment in your chosen field of expertise on this earth. But it seems clear that worship will be a dominant activity and that music, particularly singing, will be a big part of it. Not for this reason alone, I encourage you to find your voice and use it. Let us be united in our purpose for being in this place. Let us come with one accord, with the desire to receive a blessing, not with the desire to receive a blessing, rather, though we know that we will be blessed, not to fill ourselves, though we know we must be fulfilled, but with the true goal of giving a piece of ourselves, our time, our energy, our response, and our voice, not so that we may get back those things, though we will in abundance, but so that we might worship. So finish with me this sentence. We are gathered here today to worship, 
we are gathered here today. We are gathered here today. Let us worship God. <laughs> 